Dr. Lee McGowan, if Zlatan Ibrahimovic's memoir was made up, is it a novel? <laughs> Look, I think that's a brilliant question, Johnny. Because um, it, it has to be, right? Do you know, like, it, like it has to be a novel, but... Um, I guess uh, if you look at uh, what people can get away with, and they claim it as a biography, then then we have to take it as a biography as well. You know, like a, um, I'm not sure that the the ghostwriter uh, was within his contractual obligations to reveal the fact that he'd made the book up. But print the legend um, with Zlatan. It's definitely <laughs> print the legend. He is a he's a cartoon character, Zlatan. I was in the same stadium as him when. Uh, Watford, when Manu came to Watford, apparently Zlatan was brought on in case the goalkeeper would come up for a corner. But he wasn't, United destroyed Watford that day. But I've been following Zlatan, I don't know, since Barcelona. Um, and he's larger than life, like Adebayo Akinfenwar, the beast. There are these great figures who, in an era of saying fair credit to the lads, we got the points, we, we go on. One game at a time. Such figures, and I'm sure Ange Postacoglu is one of them, just it's colour. It's really good to have them. So have you been following what uh, Posti is doing in Glasgow? Look, um, I'm a Celtic supporter myself. And I think, and I was also a season ticket holder at the Brisbane Roar when he was the manager here in Brisbane. And so I was well versed in uh, his capacity and talent as a manager before, long before he went to Celtic um, I remember watching him coach Australia at the World Cup in the middle of the night as well. The, the, the goal that Tim Cahill scored against Holland will stand out in my mind as a familial moment for us where my, my wife and daughter and I were all sitting on the couch watching that game, you know, mid, like two o'clock in the morning, you know, bleary-eyed, just absolutely brilliant. So I, I'm, I've, I've been a big fan for a long time and I think that um, if he's given the support, he seems to be getting uh, Celtic. He'll do wonderful things, and I can't imagine we'll be able to hold on to him for too long. Mm, well, we Celtic have just lost. Is it the interim CEO has stepped down for personal reasons? Hey, well, he wasn't the interim CEO. He was the new CEO. Oh. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the disconnect between the board and the fans at Celtic um, is an ever-widening chasm uh, that is... Uh, absolutely typical of the one percent and the rest of us. You know, like that. Do you know? Do you know that thing was F. Scott Fitzgerald's F. Scott um, Fitzgerald said, like rich rich people think differently than us. You yeah. know, like like that's that's exactly the same thing that's happened at Celtic. You know, um, and I think that Don Mackay was a great bit for Celtic because I think that um, despite his proximity to to those kind of heady the heady heights of the, the super rich. He, like he still understood, uh, he still understood what the club required, and he he understood the fans. Even even as customers, he un, he understood the, what the fans are uh, looking for. But um, yeah, this is this is the world we live in now, right? Into like um, faceless billionaires looking after looking after football clubs, and and us mugs just cash cows just pumping our money into them. You know. Well, it. <sighs> There definitely needs to be a sea change. I'm in a conscience crisis. I, I think I deserve a soliloquy because Watford at the moment, we've got basically an entirely new front six and um, we're doing it on the cheap. We're, we're trying this really wicked new method, which is trying to survive on the cheap. 
and it's not going to work. If it does, great story. But we've lost Troy Deeney, we've lost Will Hughes, we've lost Chalabar. Now it sounds like I'm complaining. It's great for the town to be a Premier League team. So Celtic should beware. Uh, at least they've got Conference League football, right? Are you are you playing Conference League this week? The um, I think they play the Celtic B team are playing against. Oh, it's Europa League. Uh, Betis. No, no, yeah, yeah, it's Europa League guy. We're in the Europa League. Sorry, when you said Conference League, I wasn't sure what. Uh, I, I was. I, I automatically assumed that you. Hey, we're talking about the Conference League in England, but because I no. just keep forgetting about this kind of, you know, um, a Conference League thing. Like, I, I remember once a, a guy phoning in to a Tam Cowan, Stuart Cosgrove's radio show, a footage called Off the Ball in Scotland. And it is, yes. The guy said, yeah. he's, it's brilliant. Like Stuart Cosgrove, he's a magnificent writer uh, and, and a brilliant commentator on, on the game in Scotland as well. And, this guy phoned in and he said, oh, look, do you know, I, I think one of the things that we need is like a, a, a European tournament for the, for the second division teams to play against, like our second division teams to play against uh, the Italian second division teams and the English oh, yeah. second division teams. And straight off the top, he said, Cosgrove went, aye, that's a brain idea. We could call it the Butcher's Cup. And the guy was like, aye, aye, that's brain, a brain idea, Stuart. He said, oh, no, wait a minute. Why would you call it that? And Stuart Cosgrove said, aye, because it would just be your mints against our mints. You know, like, <laughs> it was just like... And that's effectively the Conference League. Now, that's what it is. It's just a wanton, gluttonous grab for money by Europe and football clubs desperate to try and put enough air in their tyres to make it to that kind of otherworldly million-pound circus that the, the Champions League is now. You know, like, I just... It's not football. Uh, it's not football. Uh, I, I think I was quite unfair on Celtic. Leverkusen, Ferencvaros, Real Betis, Celtic. Uh, Hector Bellerin will play on Thursday because he's just signed for Betis. It's a club he supported. So uh, that will be a tough fixture, uh, tough six fixtures. Um, hopefully, Posti will have done his homework. But I do want I to... I would re- think so. Oh. There's a, a great connection there with the, the Real Betis fans and, and the Celtic fans because they play in... Uh, Real Betis playing green and white strikes and uh, yeah, yeah. And so the fans have already had. Uh, there's already been some brilliant interaction across social media and stuff, you know, which is lovely. I think, and that's because that's really what the football's about, right? You know, like um, that kind of level of engagement. I think. What's we hate Rangers in Spanish? Nos detestos, detestaremos. I don't know. I don't. I will. I would imagine. There'll be many European cities that would be uh, relieved of not drawn against Rangers fans, you know, given their given their behaviour uh, of late and when they go places. Mm. Uh, that is a story that will run and run. Uh, we'll get back to football literature later uh, to celebrate football in fiction, which is um, a digest, a theoretically informed field guide of football fiction but we must discuss your book never say die the 100 year overnight success of the australian women's football uh, of australian women's football written with fiona crawford published last year the only comparable book was jean williams's book which came out in 2007 uh, which came just after australia had taken part in the 2005 world cup uh, what's happened in the last 15 years? Jean's book's brilliant. Um, is that the footprint one, A Beautiful Game? Yep. 
she's um, I've got a bit of an academic crush on Jean. She's a uh, her research is amazing. I, I like it. She's a she's a really lovely, generally generous and lovely human as well. But she like she was really kind of uh, helpful as well when we first started out uh, and looking at this stuff. One of the big things was the discovery that there was some knowledge of the game uh, being played in Australia uh, at the uh, in the nineteen early nineteen twenties, and even like evidence if you scrape through the old digitised newspaper archives, you know, you'd find them uh, some reports and stuff alluding to games and uh, money raisers and novelty stuff and that. But um, there was a game in Brisbane uh, that attracted um, ten thousand people. Uh, between two women's teams and um, and people thought that like generally just thought it was a one-off like the, like the other games and stuff. But as it turns out, and this is something we discovered through research I was doing, turns out there was uh, possibly six women's teams playing in Brisbane uh, around the time. Um, the two teams of, of players that played in the game at the of all places the Gaba where the Ashes used to yeah. get played yeah, yeah. Um, were selected from three of those teams. You know, it was a kind of the first. Australia's first women's representative match, um, as I said, a good crowd. Skeptics have said, oh, it's because there was men's football on and it wasn't top of the card and all that stuff. But three weeks later, the two women's teams rocked up to a wee town outside uh, Brisbane called Ipswich. Population of 23,000 or something and and 3,000 people uh, turned up to watch that game when the women were uh, uh, were top of the card. And then there was another game in Brisbane in early November where the women's teams played again and and so, in pretty much the same way as they did um, in the UK, you know, the proceeds were being given away, the, the money was put back into the game or, or, being, uh, or used for other purposes and stuff, you know. And so, like, and that, that's really what we did around the research was, was unpack some of that stuff and then actually start talking to people. And not to say that, that Jean didn't do that stuff, but we were just fortunate to have, like, some really influential figures on our doorstep. Um, and we, we sought to digitise some of the material and stuff as part of a research project. And then uh, Fiona, a good friend, um, supervised our PhD uh, as well. Um, she was going and watching the, the local teams and stuff, you know, and um, played about herself. She was also the um, liaison, media liaison officer for the Matildas between, uh, in 2010 and 2011 as well. So she knew a lot of the players and people involved in the game and stuff as well. And so just between the historical knowledge that I'd managed to dig out as part of a research project and then uh, overlaying that with the stuff that Fiona uh, uh, had close knowledge of, it's, it's a no-brainer for the two years to, to combine our forces and put this book together, you know. So like, I'd been working on the research for the history stuff for a couple of years and then Fiona, uh, as I said, she, she'd already had that experience and like, obviously based on a depth of expertise there, you know, but... The stuff that we learned uh, and the treatment uh, that the women had, had undergone um, as a result of just being women playing football uh, is, is really quite it's terrifying. And it's been brilliant as well because I'm like a wee short, typically Scottish, pale blue, you know, fat guy. So I look like a stereotypical uh, football supporter, you know. And so it's great to be standing in the pub talking to my mates and... and I had them all watching the Matildas for the Olympics, you know, like tradies, you know, and, and boys off the building site all standing around all watching the Matildas playing in the Olympics. And just that, because you're passionate and you understand it, you know, you, you draw people in that way. So it's uh, it's been brilliant to kind of 
uh, as a tool to subvert people's thinking and, and bring new fans to the game, but also to kind of, um, more importantly, shine that a, a light on the, the struggles and, the, and just the rubbish that the women have had to put up with. Even still now, today, you know, like watching our local club in Brisbane, their treatment of the women's side, the professional women's side, is just horrendous, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it was a, a, a brilliant project to work on and uh, still we connected to people we met uh, through that project. And I, and I think, actually, uh, this is um, uh, an academic book uh, that we're looking at just now would expand that history uh, across the region as well, still looking at New Zealand and, and uh, other, other countries in the region. So we're, that one's still uh, up, uh, under review at the moment, so we'll see if that comes off. But like, it's just it's really fascinating stories, you know. If, Sorry, that was a lot, Johnny. Sorry, mate. I expected it. I expected it. And readers will be delighted to know that Never Say Die, the 100-year overnight success of Australians women's football, is priced at... £21.50. The Kindle is £8.06. You have no excuse. Uh, it's good pagination as well, 288. It would be very nice if this book about Oceanian football does come out in time for 2023, because if ever I was going to visit the Antipodes, it would be 2023, six months after what will be a disastrous World Cup in Qatar. FIFA will hopefully have their reputation unbesmirched um, by the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, eighth wave of COVID permitting. But are people excited in, in Brisbane, in Queensland, about the Women's World Cup? Um, look, the, the, we're already starting to see loads of different things. Like um, I'm involved with this amazing women's football organisation called Women on Side, and they've just pulled together... A panel with Moya Dodd, who was the first. She was a, she's a former Matilda, but she's the first first woman to be on a FIFA executive. Wow! Um, a committee, yeah. Um, Beth Priestman, who is the the coach of the Canadian side that just won the the, the Olympics. The yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, won the gold at the Olympics. Um, oh, you know, Jane Fernandez, who's really heavily involved in the organising of the World Cup, the, the Women's World Cup in 2019, and obviously here, she's she's Australian, like she's based in Australia. Cut her teeth uh, working with women's football associations here uh, at a national level, you know, and so like that that's really exciting, and the, the level of popularity around that stuff's been brilliant. We've got some brilliant media stuff here, uh, Beyond 90, uh, an online platform that focuses on women's football. It's immensely popular. Some brilliant writers writing for them as well. Like, proof of the pudding and the quality in Beyond 90 is how many of the writers who've gone on and are involved in women's football at one level or, a, or another. Anne Dong, she was a coordinator for the Women's World Cup campaign to, to, to get it here. Samantha Lewis started with Beyond 90. Now she's she's the Guardian's writer here mm-hmm. for... Yep. Or women's football and stuff, you know. So it's so really like like, and we're starting to see stuff in the in the Guardian uh, regularly now about about the women's game. I mean, I'm sure you've read Suzanne Rack stuff and that over yep. there and years, you know. So Anna Kessel, so, I, so there's a, yeah, yeah, fantastic writer as well, you know. And and we've got another a, a, a woman here, Emma Kemp, who's really good as well. So you start to see um, a fair amount of popularity. We've just had Wellington Phoenix join the W League as well, so. Um, next thing will be a, a full round of fixtures. They have this compromised version of fixtures here, um, where not every team plays the other teams home and away uh, for the sake of it fitting to a, a, a calendar rather than a home and away fixture. But the AFLW, who are 
incredibly threatened by the rise of uh, women's football in Australia um, because they've had the, the monopoly so far. Um, have just announced that they are they're going to a full home and away season, and um, and I'm quite confident that that will put enough pressure on the uh, the football association here to uh, ensure that they're not playing a full home and away season as well. If nothing else, because uh, the girls need the football as we lead up to the World Cup, you know, and so that's part of the reason from a strategic point of view of the Wellington Phoenix team coming across from New Zealand and, and playing in the W League. Yeah. Uh, this season and next season and the lead up to that you know because the the, um, the firms are a, a reasonably good side as well you know so yeah they're very good New Zealand women very good next year is the women's Euros which was postponed so all the European players will get a very full season and these are teammates of the likes of Alana Kennedy of Man City and uh, is it Steph Catley Steph Catley and Caitlin um, She's just signed for Man City, hasn't she? And you've got um, Caitlin Ford at Arsenal, uh, Sam Kerr at um, Chelsea, Sam Kerr at Chelsea, yeah, um, Mackenzie Arnold, keeper, she's at West Ham. Yeah, there's a, there's a heap of them. Chloe Legazel's at Bristol, I think, although they're not doing so well. Uh, Ellie Carpenter just won a, a Champions League medal with uh, Olympic Lyonnais, you know. Aye, that's like, that's. The quality of women's football in Europe at the moment is spectacular. It's brilliant, you know. Yeah, it's and we've got get better as well. I don't know if you've got it down in Sky Australia, uh, but Sky in Britain have secured an eight million pound a season rights deal to, uh, unfortunately, take women's soccer to a paywall. But if the money trickles down and people are reading football fiction as well, that will make women's football, which is the fastest growing sport in Britain. I'm lucky that I live near uh, Barnet ground and Boreham Woods ground so I can see Arsenal and Barnet and sorry London Bees play quite regularly and if I wanted to go down to Kingstonoon I can see or Wimbledon I can see where did God where did Chelsea play now I guess it's King's Meadow um, I, I don't know I know yeah. that um, uh, the, the teams are trying out um, same as Atletico Madrid did uh, in the Spanish league they're trying out like the Spurs, Spurs have already done this where they've let, uh, the women's team have played inside the, uh, the stadium you yeah. know to, to try and uh, grow the game's popularity. Um, there's a brilliant set-up, uh, just, I think it's just outside Brighton, Lewis FC, yep. where the men and the women are being paid the same wages and stuff. And like they, like that's a that's a fantastic set-up with the fan ownership there. And that, um, I think the woman's name's Maggie Murphy. She's the CEO there, doing some amazing stuff there around the women's game, you know. So um, things, will, things will really start to change. And I think that comes back to that community stuff I was talking about earlier. You know, like when people realise... How much more? Um, uh, it's, it's a much friendlier uh, environment. Like as much as I love going to the, the down the boozer and watching the football with the lads and stuff, it's a much different environment. Uh, going to watch the women's football. You know, I've never that. heard abuse. Yeah, exactly right. You know, and in fact, um, uh, last season when the Brisbane Roar coach uh, Jake Goodship he lost his shit at the referee uh, during the during the semi final match and. The, fact, the fans turned on him, oh. you know, like, and said, sit down, get a grip of yourself, you know, like, <laughs> um, and, and, like, that's, like, not because it's about being respectful, isn't it, and that, I think, if you see, if you see more of that in the game, then you're less likely to have players acting like we see them acting, you know, so, precisely, um, yeah, so, like, hopefully things will, that will that'll help things change for the better, but, um, it's certainly a lot of fun, I mean, obviously, it's, it helps, I've got two girls myself, they're both my football fans, you know, Celtic um, fans, 
Yeah, well, they're Brisbane Road fans. You know, like they're not. Yeah. Ah, yeah. You know, like so, like I, like I've always, obviously, as any good dad would do, eh, not give them any choice and told them who they should be supporting. But like any good daughter, they they both pushed back and said we'll support whoever we wanted. Dad, you know, and so obviously there's a fondness for Celtic, and if Celtic are playing, especially now my eldest is 18, you know, and we're going into the pub, she wants to come to watch it eh, in the pub with me and stuff, you know. Um, but like we go, we go and watch every home game from the W League, and we've already got we're getting our season tickets and stuff for the W League this season coming and stuff, you know. So it's great. And in fact, there is a match tomorrow. I've just had a look at the FFA Cup round of thirty-two away at Peninsula Power. Obviously, you'll be teaching or lecturing or doing something then, because you are. <laughs> just to remind listeners, uh, Dr. Lee McGowan, a PhD in football fiction, uh, is at the University of the Sunshine Coast. You deal with community engagement uh, through football, as you say, and also creative writing. So what I'm going to do now is sabotage you. And I'm sorry I have to do this, but when am I going to get the chance to get some guidance? Yesterday, on the train, I had an amazing idea. The game that, let's call them Albion. Albion play a really bad game. They're in a bad run. And Moz Winter, who is a fan in his kind of mid-30s, uploads a video to YouTube and basically says, here's what I do, da-da-da-da-da, Mr. Chairman, I'm ready for your call. The chairman takes him up on the offer and the book opens with Moz Winter being asked by eminent journalists, you have no qualifications and you're being thrust from the terraces into the managerial seat. What qualifications do you have? And uh, Moz takes a sip of his water and just goes, balls. And that is the opening to a piece of football fiction that I am working on. What should happen next? <laughs> That's fantastic. What a great, um, what a fantastic opening, right? Well, I, I should um, ask, has this happened in fiction before, that a fan can effectively have a wish fulfilment and become the manager? Um, yes. Uh, off the top of my head, there is a... Oh, well, he's a player, he's a young player, and it happens. And then I can't help thinking about Mike Bassett, England manager, as well. I should, else? I should probably check Mike Bassett's story. Was he just a fan, Mike Bassett? No, no, he was a, a third-rate manager. Yeah. He was picked up to become the English, the, the, the national manager, you know, so, so there's that. And then, oh, I'm testing my memory now. Yeah, uh, I can, I can see the Rolodex in your mind going. Right, no, that's because there's a Scottish one uh-huh. by and the fans effectively take over the running of the club to save the club from going down the tubes. Uh, I think it's... <sighs> Sorry, I didn't want to cause you despair. Thank you. I think it's the ghost, the ghost of say Albion Rovers. Uh, and the other one as well is um, Return of the Busby Babes, I think. So I would have a look at that by Des Dillon. And the other one is Dominic, the ripple effect, Dominic Holland. And that might be another one to have a look at as well. Fab. Um, oh, no, I will. Um, but right, just... so, th- so those are two to have a look at. The, um, but no, but, but seriously, right, the, um, that's a really engaging and opening premise. I really, because, like, it's true that uh, you would definitely have a despairing chairman uh, on social media. You know, like, you can just see that kind of the egotism, looking to social media to try and make himself feel better and come across something. Um, I, let me have a think. Um, listen, the other the other thing that's worth having a listening to 
if you haven't, is um, it's a podcast that's set every week. It's set, set during the football season. I think it's in its third season now, but yep. I've listened to the first two seasons and it was great. I um, can't believe I hadn't come across this. It's called The Offensive. The I've, Offensive, yeah, that's I've, it. It's fantastic. I, because, really because I've been doing other things in recent weeks, this is an award-winning, critically acclaimed mockumentary following Ashwood City FC. The Thick yeah. of It meets FIFA Career Mode. Uh, and yes, episode as we talk, episode one two two has just come out. So they're into the third season. I'm afraid I'm going to have to listen to all of them. But I think that's an engaging method of delivering football stuff in a different way. Well, everybody's listening to podcasts. People like funny stories. That kind of eviscerating, you know, rapacious humour is popular. So so it has all those. It has all the bits, you know. Plus, it's got some great football gags. Still stitched into it as well, you know. So, because you, like that's the thing about football jokes, right? They they have a lifespan, don't they? Mm-hmm. A life cycle, and they they can run out really quickly. And so, the the kind of immediacy of of the offensive works really well on on that level as well. Although although I think it would stand the test of time as well. It's a lot of fun. And uh, so I'll listen to that. But I'm particularly interested in Sydney Harlers. Uh, Canon, because you mentioned you've got pre-fever pitch and post-fever pitch, and so I just wanted to mention some of the books that will be inducted into your football library. By the way, I haven't mentioned you get your football library card, uh, so I don't know who you want on it, which football fiction writer you want on it, or do you just want um, kind of um, uh, uh, Henrik Larsson, Robin Jenkins, Robin Jenkins? Yeah, but we'll get to him as well. The Thistle and the Grail, you call it wise and humane. Uh, this is a Scottish football story. Even the description has kind of that Hovis advert music underneath it. Um, this is a sounds like a great book. When did you read it? Uh, I've read it about four times now. Um, um, I actually came to Robert Jenkins' work um, through via a different means, the coin gatherers uh, that my brother gave me about fifteen years ago. It, like it's just it's a the coin gatherers is just a fantastic book about a. Uh, conscientious objector, you know, during, during the uh, Second World War, uh, working in Scotland to look after his brother. It's just absolutely just beautiful. And then I obviously discovered that uh, reading through his Jenkins' work, I, I came across The Thistle and the Grail. Um, and then, and that was the thing that set me on my PhD, PhD journey because I was like, there are fantastic people. I kept reading like people like DJ Taylor and that saying, oh, there's no good football books, you know, and and all that stuff, and I'm, I'm like, no, but there is because I've read the, the Thistle and the Grail, and it's absolutely amazing, right? It's just an amazing football book. And then he wrote another one as well called A Would Be Saint, which is about another conscientious objector, you know, a, a, who, who becomes a priest, and it's just fantastic as well. And 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 even although it reads the, the description for the Thistle and the Grail reads like a Hovis advert, it's 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 the darkest Hovis advert you could ever imagine, you know, mm. like. Uh, Pugnacious defender eh, at the back beats his mother, you know, but mm. it's forgiven because he's really good at playing football. And or it's it's not forgiven; it's it's looked over, you know, eh, or overlooked. Sorry, um, and it, and it, like even the, the the chair the chairman's journey, Andrew Rutherford, you know, he's the book was written in the nineteen fifties, but it's set in the nineteen thirties. And in this town, eh, the, the things are so kind of eh, the the so masculine. That Andrew Rutherford's seen as a weak man because he likes to hold his son's hand in public, you know, and his son's like seven, you know, and it's That's, like... I actually use that image. I use that image in the second chapter of the book. I say, 
kids holding their dad's hand as something that reminds me of football as a kid. That's very fun. Yeah. Drum Saget is the um, yeah, setting yeah. of this book. And, wow, The Thistle and the Grail by Robin Jenkins, yeah, who adorns yeah. your football library card. Brian Glanville, who turns 90 as we speak next week, 9-0. You write about him in Football in Fiction, but you mention his lack of confidence in the genre. He has written a lot of fiction, mostly short stories, but the odd novel. Uh, David F. Ross recommended The Blinder, by Barry Hines. There's Richard Allen's series of skinhead books in the 70s. Terry Venables uh, wrote under the pseudonym P.B. Ewell, Y-U-I-L-L, with Gordon Williams. And Karen Brady seems to have written some disguised memoir in her books United and Trophy Wife. Um, So I'm sorry we can't really go into them, but um, you can scratch on any of those threads that I've just mentioned. Terry Venables didn't write anything. In fact, there's a brilliant story about... Uh, Terry Venables approaching Gordon Williams, uh, another fantastic Scottish writer um, whose novel uh, from scenes like these about a footballer in Ayrshire was shortlisted for the Booker Prize uh, way back when. Venables apparently marched into Williams' office and said, here, there's a dead prostitute on a bed and there's a suitcase full of money underneath it. That's (laughs) right, a story. Based on an idea. Based on an unnovel concept by L. Tell, who apparently was a very good football manager before he got into all the legal trouble. Uh, of his era, in the night, maybe that's from what he said. <laughs> the um, I so and Cam Brady stuff's a uh, fantastic. I mean, given her a uh, position in the game, and also to be writing to have like, because I think Cam Brady wrote for the Sunday Sport, uh, and then like really canny investor. I think she'd worked on. She'd worked in the city as well. She's yep. really smart and uh, and kind of fell into the investment because I think she was like on the executive mother care and stuff like that. You know, she's she's an amazing woman, Karen, Karen Brady, and to have had the time to write these two like footballers' wives type yeah. uh, texts is, is an amazing thing in itself. I'd love to get her um, into the library because it's she's a uh, well. Yeah. If you could, that would be amazing, right? That'd be amazing. I'll send her an email. Yeah. I'll say Lima Gowan recommended your books, and she'll have a look and go, "Ooh, yeah. a professor." No professor, but I, um, if that helps you get her into the library, then I'm uh, pleased yeah. to. The um, what was the other threads? What were the other threads that you mentioned? Uh, the Blinder oh, by Sydney Barry Horner. Hines. City Horner stuffs. Oh my God, The Blinder by Barry Hines is a fantastic, fantastic writer, um, and The Blinder is this really bleak football story about a young fella who sees football being his way out of the housing estate. I remember he said to me, you can't eat words, son. You know, and, the, and the blind, that's the blinder. You know, like the kids, he wants to play football for 11 minutes and everyone around him, his dad and his uncle and all that, but all that, what do you mean you want to play football? Bleak take on a working class a northern England, you know, so it's well worth having a look at. But but Barry Hines, outside that, he, he played football at a really decent level yeah. himself. And so you can see in his books uh, that he brings a football, he brings a brilliant, brilliant levels of football to his books, you know. So, Sidney Hornlock, he's one of my favourites. I've, I've bought a couple of his books now, as well as going and reading them in the British Library, which you should do if you get the chance. They've got 
so many of those collections of the old Dean C. Morlers Tiger Standish Saturdays. Say, Tiger Standish is the pay from Monday to Saturday, more for Wembley Square. That kind of stiff upper lip stuff's absolutely brilliant. You can smell roast beef pie coming off it, you know, roast beef and gravy and, and, and pastry coming off it. It's brilliant, like. That's fab. Yeah, I will have a look because um, I'm, I'm not too far. Um, another one, talking about this, the Hovis advert, there is actually a novel uh, that's that's just smells like a Hovis advert as well as sounds like one, and that's the um, Steeple Cinderby Wanderers uh, win the FA Cup by GL Carr, who's Lee, more famous for his cricket. Right? It's in my hand. Ah, it's fantastic. Like, honestly, it's absolutely fantastic. It's so much fun, and you'll giggle all the way through it, some of the brilliant stuff that happens in it, you know. I found it in a charity shop in Pinner. Um, after the big share-out, there was a £1,000 left for an official history. Um, and so, yes, how Steeple Cinderby... It's a, it's a pastiche of literature from the 1930s, written in the 1970s. DJ Taylor, who's been very good to you, writes an introduction in this little volume. And DJ Taylor has written football books himself. Aye, uh, English Settlement, great book. Great mm. book. Mohammed Al Fayed, yep. when he took over Fulham, a English settlement, a English settlement, a, a kind of pitched through that period. You know, an American investor comes across and looks at a football club and, and what happens. But I mean, he's he's like a proper, he's proper literary a royalty. You know, like he's won an awards for the for his biography on Orwell and stuff yes. like that. Like he's a he's an actual proper writer. Uh, so for him to be kind of slumming it amongst football fiction uh, was a big deal, but it's a it's a really well written piece of brilliant kind of tongue in cheek football uh, storytelling, you know. Named after but an XTC a... album. Ah, oh, is that what it's? Ah, I didn't know that. Mm. That's great. He was really generous as well, you know. He was um, him and, and, and Doogie and a fellow called Ian Plenderleaf as well. Yep. Who wrote we've had him in one of the best. Oh, have you? Yeah, he's great as well. That like for whom the ball rolls. That's yeah. absolutely brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant title. Yeah, it's super well. It's not, I'm afraid you've beaten him here. Pray silence for this. Chapter four of your book is about the conventions of football fiction. Chapter five is the differences between adult fiction and kids fiction. The appendix. I feel like Danny Baker. The appendix, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. The appendix. They think it's all oeuvre. <laughs> I never applaud. It's like the House of Commons in the library. You never applaud. You're not supposed to. But that is. That is a take lunch, take the rest of the week off title. So this is an academic book with lots of footnotes and lots of sources. In fact, about 450 sources. The book is Football in Fiction. Please ask your local university library for a copy or if you can get one of the 110 hardbacks priced at £120. Um, Good luck. Uh, You are researching the history of the Matildas at the moment. Uh, It would obviously be wonderful for you if Australia won the Women's World Cup in two years' time. I have read a really good article saying that there's something in the water in Spain. Spain and the domestic trio, Atletico, Real, who have just come into existence, and Barcelona, are rivaling Lyon and the teams in England. Would that be a fair thing to say? Look, I think that um, where you start to see any level investment in women's football, the standard of the game grows really quickly. And while Barcelona and Real have started to realise the benefits to be gained uh, after watching teams like Olympic Lyonnais pay for the best players in the world to go and play for them, um, Atletico Madrid have been doing it. uh, They've been doing it the hard way for a long time. Uh, uh, This was in 2018, I think. 
Um, Atletico Madrid broke the world record for a club match for a, a two women's teams of football. They um, managed to get 67,000 people into the Atletico Madrid uh, stadium uh, to watch uh, Atletico Madrid play a home game. Uh, the club had said they, they were supportive enough of the women's team to say, look, this season we'll give you the stadium three times to play your games in the stadium. And so the women went for broke. They, they had players on the on the radio. They had them in superstores doing all sorts of promotional stuff. Like they were giving away tickets, you know, like and doing all sorts just for the sake of getting people into the game. And um, and I think that that game uh, became so uh, such a bit a news story. I think they got TV audiences of like three hundred thousand and stuff like that to watch that game on the TV. And and that kind of that really changed the, the face of things for, for women's football in Spain and. You can see now that they're starting to follow suit where they're bringing in talent from from other countries and stuff, and so things will just things will just go from strength to strength there. You know, there's already some great players playing there, but but honestly, the the um, I think you saw yourself the Matildas playing against a really fantastic, a great British side are, are a force to be reckoned with. You know, and and not just that we've got a really good squad now, we've also got some fearsome players coming through as well, Mary Fowler and, and the likes, Cara Cooney-Cross, who's come on in a few games there as a substitute. We've got some fantastic young talent coming through as well. So I think um, Australia on home turf, a big crowd behind them, they will hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, I think they'll, they'll have a good shout at it, you know, but you can't, you can't. The Canadians were fantastic as well. The US team may be losing some of their top players, but... Like they're still they're still a, 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 an incredible force in the game as well, and the same thing development of talent there is amazing as well. So I don't think I'll be able to watch the twenty twenty two men's World Cup. Just I can't believe how many people have died for the sake of yeah. football stadiums. No, I, I don't um, care. I don't. Brazil will win it anyway because it's fixed. I don't care. <laughs> It's yeah, not it's fixed. True. It's, it's so hot true. enough for Brazil to do well. No European team are going to do well in Qatar. Um, it no, is it's horrible. No. So so yes, look towards if don't not FIFA too much um, look towards 2023 and the other book I just got a hold of as well and, and there's some football stuff in this because Chris McQueer I believe is a Celtic supporter so he often touches on uh, football in his short stories but um, his two short story collections um, Hings is the first one H-I-G-S H-I-N-G-S and the second one is Here We Here We Fucking Go <laughs> it's called and I, I honestly like some of the funniest, uh, funniest short storytelling um, I've read uh, for a long time. Definitely worth. I saw a, there's a description on one, the front of one of the books. It's, it's Lemmy versus uh, meets Irving Welsh, and it, uh, it's just it's a spectacular description of it. So well worth a wee look Ooh, uh, if yeah. you get a chance. Yeah, it's very very cheap on a uh, on Amazon. I will do that. Um, Dr. Lee McGowan, uh, PhD in football in fiction. Uh, which is the title of your Shit. book. Uh, I'm off to complete the um, story of Moz Winter. This could run and run, the fan in charge. But um, I don't want you to predict the ending, and that's the beauty about football. Uh, so let's hope that Brisbane Raw have a good season as well. When is the first league game? I think the A-League begins in mid to late October, and then the W-League usually starts in late October, early November. Oh, because I ask, because um, I, I think this will go out around mid-November. I no problem. That's fantastic. Hey, listen, um, I think the, the story of most winter, uh, being a fan and having to cope with the decisions that get made at a football club, and 
obviously the tension between him having to make decisions based on the looking after the club's financial security uh, that may not be in accordance with the fans' wishes is going to draw out some lovely, uh, lovely humour for you. Yeah. Well, I was in Acosta reading a book and I looked up and there was, with his wife and kids, Javi Gracia, who at that time was Watford's, what Johnny Lou calls interim manager. All Watford managers are interim managers. And Watford, <laughs> Watford had just beaten Chelsea 4-1 because Chelsea wanted Conte gone. Oh, the, and the players down tools. Hazard scored a great goal. But apart from saying thank you for leading us to the win in your first home game, there wasn't much I could say, but just that interaction between fan and manager interests me greatly. And I think Postacoglu is a wonderful appointment for Celtic because as long as he takes the pressure off the rotten way the club is being managed at the moment, uh, I think and not getting Eddie Howe was a big mistake that I don't think Celtic fans will forgive regardless of winning the league. Because you've, Celtic have won the league with Ronnie Dealer, uh, the Neil Lennon situation, the manager with integrity who walked away from Watford and Reading and Celtic. I don't, I don't, do you have a word? You've, you've written a, a lot of words. Do you have a word about Brendan Rodgers to finish our, um, our discussion? Um, look, um, Brendan Rodgers is an opportunist. Um, he's, he's learned uh, as he's gone. He's uh, a charming man, you know, in the words of Morrissey. Um, I think that um, he did a lot of good at Celtic as well as leave the fans with a a several taste in their mouth but look, I would rather a, I'd rather correct correct an error there in that I think the fans were relieved not to see Eddie Howe become the manager and are more than happy with having landed a Poster Coglu in his stead to be honest I think that um, after a, the amount of time where he prevaricated on his decision that was enough for Celtic fans to say do you know what if, if you don't want to then we don't want you and yeah. so fans had already started to uh, like he, he would have he'd made an uphill battle for himself before he'd even started yeah. so uh, we, we were even although that took like eight times as long as it should have um, the fans are really happy with Poster Coley coming and he's already made, been transformative in terms of the playing standard and style um, I'm just seeing when the next old firm derby is. Rangers did win it the other week. January the 2nd, I've got here. Hi, look, there's not an old firm anymore either. You know, like the, oh, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. The, the Glasgow was, derby. Uh, it was liquidated. You know, like, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's just a Glasgow derby now. So um, that's, that's just a, a, one of them things. It's a, a, a arcane and pretentious title for a, for a, a fixture that no longer happens. Uh, well, we wish it well. Um, and you can enjoy <laughs> you can enjoy Fitbar Week, uh, where I speak to authors and fans and Jackie McNamara as well. Lee McGowan, uh, have a wonderful springtime down in Queensland. And um, are you, uh, last question, are you optimistic that the Ashes will go ahead? Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, the Ashes is a fantastic tournament for our Scottish people in Australia because either way... Um, the English get beat or the Australians get beat and it's a it's a great result for Scottish people in Australia either way. Hey, fantastic. Just like the library! Just like the library!